0: Good evening and a very warm welcome to our service this evening. we we'll begin with some words from John's vision recorded in the book of Revelation. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him, who lives forever and ever. And so let us stand and worship our God who sits on the throne in our opening hymn this evening, uh, which you'll find on the sheet and on the screen. There is a higher throne than all this world has known, where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. As we hear the uh, music begin, we'll stand Parents are opening him. Shall we pray? Triune God, Eternal Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you that we can come to your presence this morning, this evening. We can come and we can bow down before your throne. We can lift our eyes above uh, this world and we can remember that you are King, that you reign your throne is not a a ceremonial throne only it is a glorious throne of infinite power and majesty of justice of mercy and of grace we can come this evening bringing you our thanks for the way that you reign over our lives you are sovereign we come knowing that everything is under your power there is No event in our lives which is beyond your control. Everything is known and ordained by you. Our trials, our joys, you apportion them all. And we give you thanks, Father, that you rule, that you reign. We praise you that your throne is a throne of justice. Our nation has been much taken up in the last week with... Uh, injustices and with putting right wrongs which were uh, done to so many over uh, a long period of time Lord we do thank you for those who are campaigned for justice to be done Uh, we thank you that at last their voices were heard and uh, injustice was recognized and that uh, redress uh, is to be made but Lord as much as we uh, rejoice in This that has been done for one group of people. We recognise, Lord, that we live in a world which is full of injustice. There are so many injustices which are done which go unrecognised. But we thank you that there is a higher throne. We thank you, Lord, that there is a day coming of perfect justice. A day when the books will be opened when all the facts will be laid bare, when there will be no hiding from anyone. Nobody will escape at the day of that justice. Uh, Your power will bring uh, those from the dead uh, to stand before your throne and each one will have to give an account. And Lord, we thank you that you will see to it that every wrong is a put right. Uh, Lord, as we consider this, we Uh, recognise that we ourselves have often been guilty of injustices towards others, whether it has been through our actions or our words or in the thoughts of our own hearts. And Lord, we would pray for a forgiveness where we have sinned in this way. We pray, Lord, that you who desire truth in the inward parts, that you would uh, cause us to recognise where we have sinned and, and perhaps this has gone unnoticed by us. Lord, we pray that we might be, as your people, those who, uh, who, who do justice. And Lord, we pray that we might also be those who love mercy as we seek to walk humbly before our God because we, we praise you that your throne is a, a throne of mercy. Lord, we've been thinking about our shepherd king, who is also the lamb who was slain. And we thank you that the one who rules over us is worthy because he shed his own blood to redeem us. We thank you that we can remember this at your table in a few moments. But Lord, as we remember that you have been so merciful to us, we pray that you will make us a a merciful and a, a compassionate people. Lord, we, we know that we too will one day stand before your throne and give an account of how we have made use of the grace that you have shown towards us. And we pray, Lord, that we might be able to give a good account of those that we've shown mercy and kindness and compassion to. And Lord, we pray that as we gather here this evening, you might once again speak to us through your word. Lord, we thank you for the reminder this morning that your word, though heaven and earth will pass away, your word will never pass away. And so we pray that you will bless us as we come to study the scriptures again this evening. We pray that you will take up your word and bring it to our hearts. We pray that you will equip us, uh, that you will prepare us for the week ahead. Lord, that where we are discouraged or downcast, where we are grieving, Lord, that you might comfort us. Uh, that where we are perplexed and anxious, uh, that your word uh, might shed light on our situation, uh, that your word might, uh, you might bring to our minds the promises of your word, that we might be able to bring these before your throne, and that we might be assured of uh, of, of, of the promises of your grace. Oh Lord, we thank you that there is not one of your children. Uh, who you will leave uh, to languish, but rather each one that you will strengthen and help. So we do bring before you those in a particular need, uh, those with particular griefs and sorrows, that you will comfort and strengthen. Lord, let none go from this place unblessed. Remember those also who are not able to meet with us Oh, Lord, we pray for a blessing on them also. We pray that as your church, you might unite us in the power of your Holy Spirit. You might uh, bless us with a a sense of our common bond in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will equip us with love for the lost. We pray that you will make us a bright, shining light to the glory and honour of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we bring these uh, great requests uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, knowing that we can do nothing of this of ourselves, but knowing, Lord, that all of these things you have promised to do for Jesus' sake, that he might get all the glory and all the praise as we come in his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Once again, a very warm welcome to our evening service. Uh, we can give God thanks for a wonderful uh, church lunch. Uh, this afternoon, and uh, we do thank all those who are involved in every way in the, uh, the catering and uh, uh, the clearing up, so thank you to you. And just to say that the, the next church lunch is planned for Sunday the 7th of April. Sunday the 7th of April. Uh, looking on into the week, uh, the notices for the week ahead. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Monday at 7.45, we've got the Ladies' Press Fellowship in the evening. Um, hybrid service. If you're not able to be there in person, you can join by Zoom. On Tuesday, we have the regular coffee morning at ten thirty, and then in the evening, we are meeting in our small groups in various homes for our Bible study and prayer at seven forty-five. Wednesday at one thirty is the babies and toddlers group, and at seven pm is Kids Connect. And then we look forward to holding uh, an open air witness down in Bromsgrove on Saturday at 11am, weather permitting. So if you are interested in being involved in that, do uh, a speak to uh, Jeremy or Alan. Next Sunday, we're looking forward to baptismal service for uh, Katie Brooks. Um, So Jeremy will be uh, leading that service at 10.30 next Sunday morning, and we're planning to serve coffee and cake after the service, so if you're able to help by uh, bringing along uh, any sweet items, that would be much appreciated. And then in our evening service, which will uh, include communion, uh, we're looking forward to our brother Richard Brooks bringing us God's word. That will be at 6pm. After the consultation period about a proposal that we put to the church about Martin Leach uh, being appointed associate pastor. Uh, We're pleased to say that uh, the elders, uh, in consultation with the deacons, have issued that call. Martin has accepted. Uh, We're still uh, in discussion about when the start date will be, but that is possibly around Monday the 19th of February with an induction service to be held on Saturday the 24th. Uh, So we do thank the Lord for his uh, kindness and uh, providence in in bringing this about. And we pray for his blessing on Martin and Penny as she supports him in this work. Uh, If you wonder where Martin and Penny are today, uh, they're currently away on holiday uh, until Saturday. So all these notices in the will of the Lord. Now as we come to uh, communion, we're going to sing our second hymn. So him uh, I don't believe we've uh, sung these words before but the tune should be familiar the londonderry air consider christ the source of our salvation that he should pay the penalty for me our communion him As we come now to the Lord's table. I remind you that uh, eating bread, drinking the cup, uh, is a privilege for God's children, for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, who have been baptized and are walking in fellowship with the gospel church. And if that's you, then we do uh, warmly invite you to uh, take part with us this evening. But if that's not your situation, don't be at all embarrassed just to let the bread and the cup pass by. We are very glad to have. Each one here with us this evening. Some words of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. I'm going to invite our brother Richard Brooks to come and give thanks for the bread, and after that, Gary Kopstein to give thanks for the cup.
1: most gracious one, we bow together as your blood-bought, ransomed people to worship you, to praise your name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yours is, as we were singing, the higher throne, the highest throne, the eternal throne. And we thank you for the reminder just now in the word that we are complete in Christ. And he it is upon whom we focus now as we come to the Lord's table, where he is the host, the glorious host, and we are the guests, of the unworthy guests. And we bring, O oh Lord, with sorrow and shame our often cold, cold hearts very unlike the burning hearts of our brethren on the Emmaus Road. But we bring our often cold, cold hearts to the burning, fiery love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray that we might be a flame and a blaze for the Saviour who died for us, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Oh, for a heart in every thought renewed and full of love divine, perfect and right and pure and good, a copy, Lord, of Thine. So, as we take and eat, as we are bidden, invited, commanded to do, we take the bread, we think of the bread of life, and we thank You, dear Lord Jesus Christ. For all that you are and all that you've done for us, feed us now, nourish us in blessing. Please will you bless us. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Our loving Heavenly Father, as we look upon the elements on this table, we thank you that it is the Lord's Supper, it is the communion, that the saints of God can celebrate and reflect upon the tremendous cost when you sent your Son into this sinful world to go all the way up to the cross of Calvary and there to voluntarily, willingly lay his life down. we thank you, Father, for all of the blessings that are ours, not only in this life, but in that which is to come. We thank you for that precious blood that atones for our sins, that we have been redeemed, brought back to you, brought into that relationship that you accept us in your Son. We thank you that you've adopted us into your family, that you've clothe us with the righteousness of Christ. And Father, as we partake of this cup, help us to remember him until he comes. Lord, keep us looking up and waiting and watching. Father, we would even say, Lord, come Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. To have our scripture reading now, we're going to turn to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, and we're reading just the first four verses. And this uh, comes at the end of the account of a Stephen's martyrdom. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the words. We pray that the Lord will bless this passage as Jeremy opens it to us in a moment. Before he does so, we'll sing our third hymn, which is number 476. If you're using the hymn books, 476. Come, Holy Spirit, come, let thy bright beams arise. Our third hymn.
3: Thank you Sam for leading us. This evening we're returning to the Acts of the Apostles and to our evening series of sermons we've called Turning the World Upside Down. Where we're seeking to learn lessons from the early church in the first century for ourselves as part of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, uh, the 21st uh, century. Um, We come uh, tonight to the passage uh, that Sam has just read in our hearing, Acts chapter 8 and the first four verses. Acts 8 from verse 1 as far as verse 4. It's a a short passage, uh, but it's a significant one. And I'm calling the message from this passage this evening, A Day in the Life of of the early church, a day in the life of the early uh, church. It's important, as Sam touched on when introducing the reading, for us to recognize uh, that there is no break whatsoever uh, between the end of Acts chapter 7 and uh, the beginning of Acts uh, chapter 8. Acts 7 ends uh, with Stephen being martyred last verse of chapter 7 then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice Lord do not charge them with this sin and when he had said this he fell asleep and uh, Acts 8 begins with Saul consenting uh, to uh, Stephen's uh, martyrdom uh, verse 1, now Saul was consenting uh, to uh, his uh, death. Uh, and it's important that we don't miss that everything that's happening in our passage really is happening in a single a day. The first half of the first verse begins now, as Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. So as we say, no break between the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of uh, chapter 8. Saul's been mentioned just a few verses earlier, chapter 7 and verse 58. They cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses, we are told, laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named uh, Saul. So Saul is there consenting to Stephen's death, right there, right then. The second half of verse 1 begins, At that time a great persecution arose against the church. That phrase that we have at that time, most literally translated, would be on that day. In other words, the sense of it, that very day, when Stephen was martyred, when Saul was consenting uh, to his death, that very day, a great persecution arose against the church. Verses 2 and 3, we're told devout men carried Stephen uh, to his uh, burial, verse 2. As for Saul, verse 3, he made havoc of the church. And what we have there as for Saul. The sense in the original is while Saul. Or in the meantime Saul. So in other words at the very same time. As the devout men were carrying Stephen to his burial. As Saul was making havoc of the church. And Verse 4. Therefore. Or we might translate that, so then those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So if we understand this passage correctly, what we're seeing is, is one day, a single day. And in this one day, Stephen is martyred, the church is persecuted, believers are dispersed, and the gospel is spread. It was arguably an extraordinary day. It was, marks really, a a turning point in the narrative of the early church that we have here in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. But I want to highlight for us from these verses tonight uh, three principles which are valid for each and every day for us as christians as churches whether a day be extraordinary or ever so ordinary three principles that will help us in our christian lives and in our life together as a church number one individuals matter to god individuals matter To God. Yes, in our passage, there's a big picture. We're told, verse 1, a great persecution arose against the church. We're given more detail, verse 3, Saul made havoc of the church. Literally, Saul ravaged the church. And as a result, we're told, verse 1 and verse 3, that many believers were scattered. There's a big picture here in terms of what's happening to the church but there are smaller details one man Stephen is killed and buried and clear mention is made both of his death and of his burial his death verse 1 we are told now Saul was consenting To Stephen's death. And his burial. Verse 2. We are told devout men. Carried Stephen. To his burial. My point is this. That the Holy Spirit sees to it. That Luke doesn't lose sight. Of the smaller details. In narrating The bigger picture. Here in the story of the church, the death and the burial of this individual, Stephen, is highlighted. Why? Well, for this reason, among others individuals matter to God. Let's just think about this a little. Individuals matter to God before they're converted. Why? Because God loves individuals. He sets his love upon individuals. Because Jesus died for individuals. He died upon the cross for individuals. Because the gospel comes to individuals we each of us hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as individuals and because our response to the gospel is and must be individual you cannot respond for me I cannot respond for you but each of us must make our own personal Individual response to the gospel and to the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our hearts and upon our lives and so if you're here uh, tonight and you're not yet saved understand that you matter to God don't feel that you're lost in a congregation this evening you matter to God God loves an individual like you Jesus died for an individual like you. The gospel comes to you as an individual. And you must make your individual response. Individuals matter to God before they're converted. More than that, individuals matter to God after they're converted. The Christian life isn't individualistic. In the sense that it's not all about the individual. The Lord saves us, makes us Christians, and then he puts us together in uh, local churches. He makes us part of his uh, universal church and encourages us to be uh, fully connected to a local church. But although the Christian life isn't individualistic, we live as Christians As individuals we have and are to cultivate a personal relationship with God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. We are individually gifted with the particular gifts that God may have given to any one of us individually. We are individually responsible for the lives that we live for the gifts that we exercise. For the things uh, that we uh, do. And we are individually valued. God loves his people as a people. Christ loves his church as a church. But with God, with Christ, the individual is never lost in the crowd. And God loves us personally. And Christ Loves us individually. So, Christian brother, Christian sister in the congregation this evening, you matter to God. So, we've said individuals matter to God before they're converted, and individuals matter to God after they're converted, and so individuals should matter to the church. Individuals should always matter to a local church. We must always seek to avoid being guilty of sacrificing the individual on the altar of the church. We must, of course, understand that no church revolves around any individual. But churches are made up of individuals and individuals matter in the life of a local church and so we are to love one another as individuals and we are to serve one another as individuals so this is our first principle from tonight's passage individuals matter to God second principle persecution isn't all bad. Persecution isn't all bad. Now you might feel like shouting at me, try telling that to someone in a North Korean concentration camp. Well, with respect, I might reply by saying, someone in a North Korean uh, concentration camp probably understands the truth of what I'm saying better than you or I do. It's the only way to survive. If you're a Christian in a North Korean concentration camp, the only way to survive is to understand and to be persuaded and to be convinced that persecution isn't all bad. You see, there's a general principle to which we subscribe as believers. We often quote it. Romans eight twenty-eight. all things work together for good. Let's quote it in full. I'm turning to it to make sure I get it right. Romans eight uh, twenty-eight. and we know that all things work together for good, writes Paul to the Romans, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. That's a general principle. And so what we're doing tonight is making a specific application of that general principle. That if all things work together for good, then that can and must include persecution. And that even the persecution of Christians, the persecution of the church, works together for good. For the glory of God. And for the good of his people let's think about this a little bit more yes of course persecution is bad in the sense that it's wicked it's described for us here in verse 3 of our passage as Saul making havoc of the church Saul as I said earlier literally ravaging the church he's entering Christians homes he's dragging them off to prison He's seeking to destroy the old early church, to kill it off when it's barely begun. Persecution was bad then, wicked then, and persecution of Christians and of the church is still bad, still wicked now. That's why it's important that we pray uh, for those who are Especially persecuted. That's why in our uh, prayer bulletins each week we have mention of uh, the open doors, a world, a watch list, and uh, we focus on different countries from the top fifty countries where uh, Christians are, are most uh, persecuted, and we pray through them year by year. This coming Wednesday, the new world watch list for 2024 is due. To be released. I was watching a a trailer video yesterday. uh, For what's coming out on Wednesday. and, And was reminded of this staggering statistic really. That one in seven Christians in the world. Suffer serious persecution. One in seven Christians in the world. Suffer serious persecution. And yes we must be in no doubt that persecution is bad in the sense that it's wicked. But similarly, we're learning from our passage tonight that persecution isn't all bad in the sense that God overrules it for good as he does everything. Every negative experience we have as Christians or as churches, God overrules for good. And persecution is not the exception That proves the rule. Persecution is included. And we see that illustrated in our passage. Yes, we read about the persecution. Verse 1, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. Yes, verse 3, Saul, he made havoc of the church. He ravaged the church. But what else do we read? Verse 1, they were all scattered. That word all is not meant to be taken literally in the terms of every last one of them. But all, as in so many of them, were scattered. Some we know remained in Jerusalem, not least because some of them were imprisoned in Jerusalem. But there was this great scattering, that's the point, this great scattering, dispersion of God's people as a result of the persecution. And what did that mean? What it meant was verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. You see, persecution isn't all bad in the sense that God overrules it for good. Really, properly understood, Acts 8.1 is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. Handy that the numbers relate that way, isn't it? If you've got my kind of mind, that's handy anyway. If you've got a better mind than mine, it might not uh, might not help you. But eight one and one eight. Do you remember Acts chapter one and uh, verse eight? Jesus speaking to his disciples, the apostles, immediately prior to his ascension. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Get this in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end. Of of the earth. And that which was promised in 1 8 is fulfilled or begins to be fulfilled in 8 1. Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered, get this, throughout the regions of Judea and uh, Samaria. So Acts 8.1 is really the fulfilment of Acts 1, 8. And to think that, humanly speaking, it took persecution to bring it to pass. What's happening? God is overruling it for good, isn't he? And he's still doing the same Today. Again, when I was watching that uh, Open Doors trailer yesterday for the uh, World, New World Watch List being released this coming Wednesday, the narrator said this. This list, in other words, all these 50 countries where Christians are being uh, terribly persecuted, this list is not a lost battle. It shows that the church is alive, it's active. And it's growing. And the remarkable thing is that it's very often in the countries where Christians are most persecuted. That the church is most alive. And most active. And most growing. Why? Because persecution isn't all bad. In the sense that God overrules it for good. Now, we know little of persecution in our experience. We may know much more in coming years. But there's a principle here that applies to whatever, in inverted commas, negatives we face. Those things that the Lord allows to be written into our stories, whether individually or as churches, which if it was left to us, we would not write into our stories, be it persecution or be it whatever it might be. Whatever I say in inverted commas, negatives we face, have ever faced, will ever face. face. Be it persecution or whatever. These things are never all bad. Because all things do work together for good. And God is both sovereign and gracious. He is sovereign. He is over everyone and everything. And he is gracious in that he harnesses everyone and everything for his glory and for his people's Ultimate good. So we see from this passage tonight that persecution isn't all bad. We're not saying persecution isn't bad. It's bad in the sense that it's wicked. But we are saying that persecution isn't all bad in the sense that God overrules it for good. And we have a very clear and bright illustration of that in our passage Church is persecuted, but that means that believers are scattered and the good news of Jesus Christ spreads like wildfire. So are you are still with me? It's just one day in the life of the church in Jerusalem. Individuals matter to God. Persecution isn't all bad. Thirdly this evening, no one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond uh, redemption. Our passage, the whole of this 8th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, begins, now saw. This saw, at whose feet people had been uh, laying down their clothes as they stoned godly Stephen at the end of Acts 7. This saw. Who was consenting to Stephen's death. And really that translation consenting doesn't do justice. It almost suggests as if he was giving a nonchalant approval. No he was consenting in the sense he was was all for it. He was right behind it. He was fully encouraging it. Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. Saul looms large in tonight's passage. And as we find him here at the end of Acts 7, the beginning of Acts 8, he is truly a nasty piece of work. Consenting to Stephen's unlawful killing, verse 1. Wreaking havoc among the early church, verse 3. Entering every house, dragging off men and women. Committing them to prison. But you know what I'm going to tell you, don't you? The church's greatest enemy in Acts chapter 8 is the church's latest convert in Acts chapter 9. We're not in Acts chapter 9 tonight. We'll be there in a few weeks, the Lord willing. But the church's greatest enemy in Acts 8, Saul, the great threat that he is to the early church, is the church's latest convert by Acts chapter 9. Where we read of Saul's a famous Damascus Road experience, where he was given an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ there on the road to Damascus. And the result was that he was wonderfully converted. He was gloriously saved. He came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. And Saul, the persecutor of the church, was turned into Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. The one born out of Jew time. Added to the number of the apostles. And with particular responsibility for taking the gospel to places where it had not yet reached. The church's greatest enemy in Acts 8 becomes the church's latest convert by Acts 9. The arch persecutor of the early church becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And this would impress upon us anew and afresh that no one is beyond redemption. If you're here this evening and you're already a Christian, no one is beyond redemption. That family member, that friend, that work colleague, that neighbour, that hardened sceptic, That person who you attempted to think will never become a Christian. No one is beyond redemption. Look at Saul and see what God can do. And be encouraged to keep on praying and to keep on witnessing. And see what God will do. And if you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian no one is beyond redemption. And you say but preacher you don't know who I am. Whoever you are no one is beyond redemption. You say preacher you don't know where I've been. Whatever you've been, no one is beyond redemption. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. Whatever you've done, no one is beyond (coughs) redemption. Look at Saul. See whoever you are. Whatever you've been, whatever you've done, no one is beyond redemption. Because God is the God of grace. And His gospel, His good news, is the gospel of grace. And so he doesn't love those who deserve his love. But he loves those who are undeserving. And he doesn't save those who are worthy of his salvation. But he saves those who are utterly unworthy of it. What did Christ say of himself and of his mission? That he did not come to call the righteous, those who considered themselves righteous, but sinners, those who know themselves to be sinners, to repentance. Whoever you are, whatever you've been, whatever you've done, God is the God of grace. His gospel Is the gospel of grace. No one is beyond redemption. You are not the exception who proves the rule. You are not beyond redemption. And tonight the Lord Jesus Christ calls you home to himself. To be a part of his church. To join in this great adventure which is unfolding here in Acts 8. And is still unfolding here in 20, uh, 24 in Katzell and all around the world. The adventure we call the Church of Jesus Christ. This great gospel movement in this uh, needy world. When individuals matter to God. Where even persecution isn't all bad. And where nobody, absolutely no one, is beyond redemption. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our closing hymn. O Church, Arise. And put your armor on, hear the call of Christ, our captain. O church arise, the closing hymn. Mm. the eternal God who is your refuge be a rock that is beneath you, the tower that is around you, the shelter that is above you, this day and all the days until Jesus comes.